This is the Manufacturing Report. I'm Scott Paul. You know, currently we're having this discussion about you know, bringing manufacturing back to U.S. And I always say, well, who's going to do it? You know, if we want to be serious manufacturers again, you know, we need to start with the education. We need to start with the apprenticeships. Hi, everybody. It's Scott Paul from the Alliance for American Manufacturing. And I'm here at the Furnace Record Pressing Company just outside of Washington, D.C. I'm about to take a plant tour and to also talk with Eric Astor, the CEO of Furnace, as well as Mark Ryder, their chief of operations, about how it's like to be a startup manufacturer in a busy metro area like this, and also what it's like to start pressing vinyl records again, an industry that virtually vanished from the United States a couple of decades ago. Next on the Manufacturing Report. So Eric, Furnace Record Pressing. If you had asked anybody in the 1980s what the future of vinyl was, they would have said, well, it's disappearing, right. uh, kind of like the 8-track tape or reel-to-reel. Um, why is it coming back, and what's your inspiration to build a factory in a metro area that's going to press vinyl records? So in the 80s, I was running a, a record label when I was a kid. So I've always been into vinyl, and then um, later on, I, I started a, a record distribution company and we were selling a ton of vinyl in the 90s. And, and when we started Furnace Record Pressing as an offshoot uh, of the distribution company to help some of the labels that we distributed make product, we were still making vinyl for them at that point in the mid-90s as well. So in the independent community and the hardcore audiophile community, vinyl had um, always been strong. I mean, obviously it shrank way, way down, but there's been people that have been buying and playing and you know, searching for old records for a long time, even when everyone thought it was dead. So um, I think this is a great renaissance. Um, people are, are, I think, part of the, the renaissance of vinyl records are uh, people are you know, just tired of everything being you know, in the cloud or you know, just this really small thing. I mean, music is something to be cherished and you, know, you lose a little bit about the album when you know, something's either you know, digital or in a very small format. So you have the record jacket, you, know, you have the liner notes that we all grew up with and how you know, exciting and important that was. But you know, then people start to realize, wow, the sound quality, if you have a good system, sound quality is far superior to digital. And it's kind of a lifestyle thing. You know, I think people like to collect things and they like to, um, it's, it's kind of like this slow movement of food and everything else. I mean, I just watched like a six hour documentary on like knitting, you know, this slow TV on Netflix, <laughs> it's crazy. But you know, we're having a dinner party and people are like fascinated because it's like you sit down and you're making something and you're enjoying it. And I think that the ritual of putting the record on the uh, turntable is kind of neat. So. Um, I think it's just, you know, uh, people crave something more than just, you know, convenience. And, you know, there's a quality aspect to it. There's a uh, just a collectible aspect to it. And then there's just like this tangible thing of reading a book, you know, playing a record is very akin to that. Yeah. So we got really excited about uh, about 10 years ago. Uh, we were pretty much just doing CDs and DVDs. And, and while that market was still for the indies were still pretty flat, uh, wasn't you know, cratering like uh, it is now. Uh, we saw this opportunity to uh, help you know, the industry because at that time there was only a handful of manufacturers and people were waiting a long time to get records made, so high quality records made. So uh, at first we were going to build a plant. We said, well, it's way too much money, but we uh, went overseas and partnered with a company out of Germany called Palace. 
and they've been making records since 1949. So we said, we went to them and we said, listen, I can, I can fill this entire plant up if you give us, you know, capacity. And at the time, they literally were making, you know, polka records and, and David Hasselhoff records. Like my first visit was like, <laughs> they, all these open presses. He's big in Germany. He's yeah, huge yeah. and, you know, you can't, <laughs> the Hoff is huge. But um, so we went over there and they thought we were crazy. And then um, within three months, we had an entire first shift um, filled. So. Wow. Um, for the last, you know, eight, nine years, we've been pressing records in, in Europe and, and importing them. And then we do all the assembly and finishing here. Um, and we said, well, you know, that's great, but there's that cost of shipping and just uh, the, the you know, cap of capacity. We said, you know, in order for the industry to, to thrive and for us to, um, you know, grow, we need to build our own uh, facility. So uh, we did that about three years ago. We started looking for equipment and trying to find a space and, and it's all you know, yeah. coming together now. So, well, let's talk about this because, this, I mean, this is an industry and you, you correctly point out there's a lot of hobbyists and there's a, there's a hardcore but small audience for it, which is dramatically expanding yeah. now. So how difficult was it to find machines, know-how, to, to piece all of that together, that seems like you're recreating something from a lost civilization yeah, and, and then plopping it in a very expensive metro area. It seems like you had a lot of odds to overcome. Yeah, I mean, we're still trying to overcome them, but uh, the equipment, when we started looking, there hadn't been any new presses built uh, since the 1980s. Um, uh, we had made some uh, equipment over in Germany, but it was you know, one-offs, copies of the presses that we already had. Um, so we own five presses over in Germany. Uh, they're very expensive to make because they sure. are just, you know, uh, one-off. You know, we had to have a company you know, fabricate everything and, and do the R&D and everything. So those were really expensive. So we said, well, we can't afford to buy and, and make these like this. So we started to look for the old ones. And we found 10 presses down in Mexico City that had just been mothballed and sitting in a storage shed for 20 years. And um, at the time, that was, that was our, our only avenue to get into the manufacturing of vinyl records because, you know, again, there's no one making equipment. So we bought those. We started to you know, uh, figure out how to refurbish them, and we sent them over to England where we found a couple uh, gentlemen who had run a plant, and they were engineers, and they, they knew how to rebuild these, uh, these machines. And while we're in the middle of that process, you know, there's a couple companies that have uh, popped up since then to start making equipment. And while you know their their numbers aren't great, you know they probably made you know a couple dozen thus far. Um, you know it's it's quite promising. So we we bought a couple new machines. We have you know about uh, ten old machines, and we're making four semi-automatic machines um, ourselves. Uh, and that's going to make up our our equipment. So that was that was difficult. You know, it's a um, it's not easy to find the old parts. I mean, we ended up making a lot of our own uh, parts and finding people that could, you know, copy things and, and trying to find these old manuals that have been out of uh, circulation forever. Sure. And then you get to the brain drain part of it, which is most of the folks that had pressed records and know this stuff, they're, they're retired. Sure they are. And yeah. uh, a lot yeah. of them, you know, the old timers that, that, that are around, you know, some of them are hardcore and they really like doing this, and some of them are like, "I'm so glad vinyl died because it's a pain in the butt." You know, <laughs> so uh, we, you know, we're 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 taking and and, and finding people that yeah. that know it, and then we're learning it ourselves, and um, you know, just trying to find the best and brightest. But uh, my friend who's in the watch business, he said, "You know, you think vinyl records are are hard to make? You know, try to make a ceramic watch case, uh -huh. or try to do some of these other you know things that are are difficult. Like you, know, you can figure it out. It just requires you know." 
you know, the, the will and, and the patience and the money. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's, yeah. that's kind of where we're at. Well, let's talk about that for a second, the, 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 the finding the workforce aspect of this, because, you know, the, you know, manufacturing for a lot of folks, it's something they don't want their kids to, to be involved with. Um, yeah, I mean, there, there's obviously an edge and a hip element to, to, to vinyl pressing. Uh, but what's been your experience as, a, as now a small manufacturer as well as someone who's really into music uh, in trying to recruit uh, workers and, and could, could our country do a better job of making it easier for folks like you to, to yeah, find a workforce? I think that's the most difficult part is to find people that are passionate about making things and also passionate about music because while you don't need to be a huge music lover to do this job, you know, this isn't a widget manufacturing plant. You know, the, everything that we make has to be listened to, has to be critiqued. Every record is looked at. Every 50 records or so are listened to. So um, while it might look good, you know, you might have a stamper start to wear out and you start to hear little clicks and pops. Okay. And, you know, a lot of people remember those from the 80s. That, that doesn't fly anymore. You know, like we, we're a high quality manufacturer. So when you put the needle on, it has to be quiet. So to get people to make a record and, and, and want to push out as many uh, units a day, they have to be good, right? So you're listening to it. And so you have to, you know, you have to enjoy the craft of manufacturing. You have to enjoy, uh, you know, making a good product and, and listening to it the way that the, you know, the consumer would. So that's, that's a difficult thing. Um, so um, that's hard. But, you know, we have no apprenticeship programs in this country. And if they are, they're hard to, to find. And, you know, it's not something that is, uh, is celebrated. And, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm partners in, with a plant in Germany, and that's, that's where everyone comes from. And there's a pride in the, the trades. There's a pride in, in learning how to make something. And uh, you know, that's something that we're way behind. So you know, currently, we're having this discussion about you know, bringing manufacturing back to US. And I always say, well, who's going to do it? Because yeah. you know, we don't have any, you know, very few skilled people. You, know, you, you talked about the, the cost of building plant in this metro area. You know, it is prohibitive to, you know, we have a million dollars worth of pipes back there. And part of that is because there's so few people that are pipe fitters, so they can charge a, a fortune for it. So, um, you know, until we get people into the trades, until we, uh, you, know, you know, basically talk to and, and have an education system that, 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 you know, puts people back into, you know, some of these, um, you know, have some of these classes again where you can learn plumbing and, pipe fitting and uh, heating sure. and, and all these other things that, yeah. that, that we had to yeah, uh, mechanical employ. Mechanical skills that you need. Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 there's a huge brain drain. Yeah. And yeah. I feel like you know, if we want to be serious manufacturers again, you know, we need to start with the education. We need to start with the apprenticeships. And then we have to, you know, there has to be, I feel, some sort of government involvement in that to push it, to help fund it. So people like me can go to someone and say, hey, I want to hire someone. But if I can't find the people, I mean, you, you want full employment. Well, you know, produce the people that I can employ because, you know, I can't educate people. I can't send people to, you know, trade schools and then expect them to come back here. I, can, I just can't afford to do that. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, we're trying, to, we're trying to produce people that can manufacture. Sure. You know, someone right. needs to be involved yeah. in that. So, uh, you know, Germany's way ahead of it. Japan's way ahead of it. And even China's way ahead of it. I think Tim Cook in an interview a couple of years ago, talked about, well, why don't you make you know, stuff in the US? And he said, 
you know, I can fit all of the tool and die or makers in this country in a room about this size. Mm -hmm. He said, you go to China, I can, I can fill several soccer stadiums with tool and die makers. Mm -hmm. So you can see like, you know, there's a huge divide. So that I think is where we need to start is, is to produce more people that want to make stuff. And it's a great job. Like sure. you work in the trade. I mean, you have good hours, good pay. You, you know, you're not working 90 hours a week. It's a family supporting so, job. Yeah, you can yeah. see your kids. Like, so, you know, I always tell people like, you know, if you're not psyched about, you know, coding or, you know, all these other like service jobs or driving an Uber, like, go learn how to be a plumber. Like you're gonna have like, you're gonna make a ton of money and you're gonna have a great job and you're gonna be able to spend time with your family and go on vacations and, you know, and, and you're always gonna be in demand. Mm -hmm. And I think that, that for so long, people have looked down on the trades. I think it's like, you know, and look at where, we're, where, where we are as a, as a society now. It's like, you got the super rich and the super poor and the middle class is being decimated. Well, yeah. you know, there's a reason for that. Mm -hmm. And I think that we need to get back to the basics. Yeah. Well, you're one of the pioneers in doing in doing this, particularly in a in, in a in an unlikely industry in an unlikely place. So you've you've talked a bit about you know what your customers expect, uh, some of the challenges as as a startup in getting this established. Eric, what's your definition of success? How will you know when you and Furnace uh, have made it? Well, I think if once we start producing records, that I'm you know, I would be proud to buy or I'd be excited to buy in the store because I'm also a consumer. That's success to me. So uh, I think that, you know, if you treat your customers right and you, you have, a, you know, laser focus on quality and consistency, um, and we have a motto here, bad news first. So if something happens, tell your client, you know, this is not, you know, something you can turn on a machine and, you know, uh, you know, just start pushing out good widgets. I mean, there's a lot that can go wrong and every day there's a new problem. Um, and that's just the vinyl uh, manufacturing world. So um, you have to anticipate those things and, and create a culture around it to say, hey, these are the things that went wrong. Let's learn from them and let's get better every day. And so we have this continuous improvement. So you know, I think that, that we uh, have, I think, the, the, a good base to build on. We have a lot of people that already think that way. So um, I think success is... You know, if we can make a little bit of money along the way, great. But it's it's really about quality and and customer service and um, in the vinyl world, that's really the only thing that matters. Because if you're trying to push a product that costs twenty to twenty five dollars more than free, you know, so you can go and stream stuff for free, or you buy a pretty expensive vinyl record, that thing has to be worth $20 more than the free version. So um, unfortunately in our industry, there's a lot of people that are making you know, subpar records that aren't worth the 20 bucks. We want it to be worth you know, more than that. And um, you know, I think that we do that and the success will follow. Great, well let's go take a look at what you got going on. All right, let's do it. So Eric, we're here on the factory floor. Uh, I know it's just about to uh, hit kind of a full opening potential, but I'm, a, I'm excited to see what you have here, both your machinery, your process, your, your workers. Why don't we get started? Yeah, let's go back to the pressing room. That's the best place to start. Awesome, great. This is the pressing room. So uh, what we've done here is we've uh, pre-plumbed, uh, if you will. We, we dropped pipes um, for all of our uh, utilities for all the presses that we have now, as well as some presses that we're gonna um, buy in the future. So. 
Uh, we've outfitted this space for about 18 presses, and we can okay. expand to 24. Oh wow! Um, wow. Yeah, using yeah. this this uh, this room. So you can see all of this. This was just one big empty room when we uh, took it over, and what you'll see here is uh, this is all uh, you know, steam. Um, steam pipes both uh, in and out. You have uh, the hydraulic oil, you have compressed air, uh, you've got chilled water, and then obviously a ton of electrical as well. Yeah. Um, we're trying to make all of our equipment smarter. Yeah. And so I was going to ask you about that because the, you know, the vinyl record, uh, I mean, I guess you can make some fidelity improvements to it or whatever, but it's essentially the same construct, right, as yeah. it was 40, 50 years ago. Even 100 years Even ago. Even 100 years yeah. ago. But I imagine the machinery has advanced quite a bit, and you're able to take advantage of some of that digitization and exactly. Yeah. So you know, with the PLC, you can you can then uh, program to make dynamic cycle time. So if the steam isn't the same temperature all the time, you can uh, take a probe at the mold and say, okay, well the the temperature is this, and you can um, you can change the cycle of the, your both your steam, um, both your steam and your cold water, as well as your your um, you know, the actual cycle time itself. So, um, you know, as we get to know the presses and as we get to know the space and the PVC that we use, um, we can program these, uh, you know, modulate to, to modulate it, it sure. per record. Uh -huh. So every record is consistent. Um, so this is taking old, redoing it, adding some new stuff. And then I'll show you some other presses outside that, you know, were built brand new using, you know, technology um, not only to, uh, you know, make the presses go up and down and transfer the record and all these other things, but it also sends that uh, data back to a centralized hub so they can see um, how every, you know, press is running and, you know, what kind of um, errors are happening or whatever so they can continually uh, improve their software and their equipment. So we're trying to be experts in everything because you can't always wait for a technician to come out and get you back online. I mean, yeah. you need to get going. And, it's a lot and, of downtime. Yeah. yeah. So um, it, 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 it pays dividends to, you know, uh, train these folks and send them to school to learn this stuff. And, you know, there's not a lot of boiler technicians out there, yeah. um, especially in this yeah. area, right. you think. Right. But uh, people, you know, came in here and they're like, what are you trying to do with this stuff? You know, so um, it's yeah. the first time they've seen applications like this in a manufacturing plant. Yeah. So, did you hear that, kids? Get a technical education. There are lots of jobs available. Oh, you will. Yeah. You will have more hours in the in the in the year to work than you can, and you'll make a lot of money. So, do it. The the engineering part of yeah. this process was uh -huh. just mind-boggling. Right, yeah. and you don't have a lot of point of references in the U.S. You're yeah, kind of you're a startup. Exactly. In a lot of ways. There's n there's yeah. no one you can go to that that specializes in yeah. this. So we lucked out. We we chose a construction company, and it just so happens our our um, supervisor was a, a you know a pipe fitter. You oh, know that was his. That's right. That's how he got yeah. into the uh, the construction yeah. business. So you know he could speak the language, which was huge because. You know, when you're starting to talk about PSIs and pipe sizes and all these things that, you know, I, I, I don't know. But, yeah. uh, you know, you can understand, he could speak the language to the engineers and also the folks that make the equipment sure. and make sense of it where, you know, my, my mind's just all tied up in yeah. knots because that's not, you know, my background, right? right. So this is the, the steam plant. Um, in order to uh, make a good quality record, you need a steam cycle. So in addition to the pressure, in order to get that PVC into those fine grooves, you need a cycle of steam. So the steam goes into the mold, uh, melts the plastic up into those grooves, and, uh, and then as soon as that's done, it goes out. And we have cold water that 
that basically firms the record up. So it's kind of like a waffle, right? Yeah. So if you open up that waffle iron too early, it falls apart. Well, you know, you have the steam that heats it, and then you have the cold water that firms it up. So when it comes open, um, you know, it stays together. Here's some of the equipment. Um, these are the, the presses that we bought brand new. Um, so this is one company that's making an automated press. Um, first time in, I don't know, 30, 40 years that new presses have been made, wow. um, automatic yeah. presses. Yeah. And um, so we'll have two of those and um, um, yeah, we'll give them a whirl. But uh, we figured we'd blend the new technology with the old and you know, we can learn from the new and apply it to some of the old equipment. But um, yeah, we're really excited to try these out and um, we're ex excited to see that you know, people have made the investment to you know, try to make new equipment again. It's, it's interesting, one of the conversations that you hear in manufacturing is like, well, we got to move to do other things because the robots are going to be making everything. And obviously you're buying automated equipment, but right. it seems to me as I'm standing here, uh, there's, there's going to be a lot of workers uh, who, who are going to be here. Uh, there's going to be really sophisticated equi equipment, and they're going to be kind of cohabitating yeah. and, and making making each other kind of better yeah. uh, for for the bottom line and for the customer as well. Yeah, yeah we we need uh, one operator for every two to three presses. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you just can't get around that. Yeah. Everything's got to be hand on hands on. They have to inspect all the records as they're coming off. They have to put it on a turntable and listen to them every you know 50 records or so. Otherwise, you got a stack of bad records that came off the press. Yeah. So Eric, thanks so much for taking us through uh, Furnace. It's an amazing place. I wish you the best as you're getting uh, it entirely launched. What you've been able to accomplish here so far is impressive, kind of growing an industry up from scratch again. Uh, it's had a hobbyist component, but now it's really scaling. And I'm really exciting. I'm really excited to talk to you because you're a pioneer. Well, in thank this. you very much. So best of luck as you move forward, and thanks for spending a little bit of time with us. Well, thanks for coming and visit. You really bet. appreciate it. Spread the word. Thanks, Manufacturing is back. We will. Manufacturing is back. So is vinyl. So I'm here with Mark Ryder, the operations manager at Furnace. Uh, it's crunch time at a startup, so I feel really lucky to have a couple of minutes to ask him how things are going to check in. Mark, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. So you, you're an English major, yet you're <laughs> like in manufacturing, um, and that kind of sums up one of the challenges I guess Furnace has, right? You're in a really kind of professional urban environment, yet you're trying to build a manufacturing uh, uh, facility uh, in a manufacturing workforce, how's it going? It's 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 going. Um, cool. It's kind of like drinking out of an open fire hydrant right now. Um, there's uh, you know the the challenges are continually are continual, ongoing, and persistent. Yeah. So um, we've made a lot of progress. You know, um, I've, Eric's shown you the facility. So we've uh, you know we're almost there. We're almost there, but it has not been an easy road. Yeah. 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 So what happens when you're trying to recruit someone to join the workforce here? And I, I'm just guessing here, because I live in the DC suburbs as well. Okay. It's like, yeah. you know, working in a record factory is probably the last thing some kids or adult imagined. How, how do you sell it? What's your pitch? Well, yeah, I mean, the, you know the challenge, which is that people don't come to DC to do manufacturing. They come here to be part of 
a power structure. Yeah. And um, finding somebody that like wants to turn wrenches on a press or make records or run a shrink wrapper is not an easy thing to do. And it's like we were saying before, like I'm, I know you know it didn't work out as the senator's page. You want to put records together here? <laughs> and the answer is no, I don't. Yeah. So. Um, we find people that are smart and willing to work hard and have problem solving capability and can look at a problem and say, yeah, I know we got this, I can figure it out. So everyone that works here has two things in common. One, they want to be part of a team and they're, you know, they have a personality that lends itself to sort of building a spree de corps, you know, and then um, they're smart. Yeah. And that's yeah. what we look for. Yeah. Yeah, it, it seems like that's a universal thing that a lot of manufacturers I talk to are looking for as well. It's like you can build up the technical skills, but you have to have that foundation of like problem solving, collaboration yep. uh, to make it work. So, okay, you talk about the power structure. Uh, let's say for a minute, Mark, you're in charge of the power structure uh, that's trying to kind of bring manufacturing back to the United States. What, 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 what do you do? What, what are the first things from a, like, that you would do? I don't want to put you on the spot, but like, I'm sure you've thought about this a bit that would make your life a little, little bit easier. So the, the, the biggest problem is finding people that have any kind of formal education in, in the trades. Okay. You know, there is a huge deficit of people that followed that career path from the beginning, you know. Um, I think that the level of education and, and the way that we've sort of pushed people towards, you know, different career paths is yeah. having an impact on... Well, it's college or bust, right? It's college yeah. or bust. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. if, we, if we truly want to bring manufacturing back to the United States, if you want to do this in yeah. the United States, we need people that are young, that already have some knowledge, you know, packed away and have some training. So, you know, we're drawing from a labor pool that is either past retirement age or we got to get people in here from somewhere else that have been doing another job and then show them how to do this. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that's, that's challenging. Yeah. yeah. That is, you know, that is either, you know, that's either starting, you're investing in someone that is really kind of like, this is, this is my last work adventure and then I'm gone. So what are you looking at? Three, four years or we're untraining somebody to train them back again, mm -hmm. you know? And those are challenging things. Yeah, yeah. What's you your know? favorite album? Of all time? Yeah. Uh, Signals by Rush. Cool. Yeah. That's a good one. I'll bet that sounds good here. You guys ever have the opportunity to press it here? Or do they have their Unfortunately, own Unfortunately, <laughs> we don't get to press any Rush records <laughs> yet. But, um, do you hear that Rush? Getty, you gotta, you, you gotta get on these guys at Furnace here. They know what they're doing. But the my favorite record that we do press, um, and we do Fleetwood Mac Rumors, uh -huh. which is an amazing sounding record. Yeah. So, and we do yeah. it every few weeks, it yeah. seems like. So. That's pretty cool. Yeah. That's pretty. Mark, best of luck to you, man. Thanks for having me. Yep. Wow, so that was quite a tour. Uh, I was really lucky to have the opportunity to sit down with Eric and with Mark uh, and to also take a tour of this amazing facility just weeks before it's about to launch. I hope you'll be able to follow their journey at FurnaceMFG.com uh, as well as stay tuned for fresh content from our podcast, The Manufacturing Report. As always, you can find us online at AmericanManufacturing.org uh, and you can keep in touch with us on Twitter at Keep It Made in USA. I'd love your feedback on this episode as well as ideas for new episodes, some amazing factories just like Furnace. Thanks again for joining us. Together we can keep it made in America.